0: you can't see it bouncing. Where is the tape? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> so, we're so we're live? We're
1: yeah, live. We, we were just we're having a little gig. We're just doing a yeah, little dance
0: Here we go. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, g'day. My name is Craig or Crafty from Craftworks Distillery. I'm uh, out in Cape Verde in New South Wales, Australia, planet Earth. And I am one of three of uh, Aussie craft distillers shooting the shit. Uh, now, for those who are watching and not seen it this before, basically, we just shoot the shit. We just have conversations with people in the industry, both locally and internationally, uh, it's freewheeling. There's no editing, um, and we just go wherever the questions sometimes go. I wish <laughs> there was. But... <laughs> 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 Put a structure. Don't with don't you know. Sometimes maybe <laughs> uh, we, we try to go for an hour, an hour and a half. We have been known to push it two and a bit hours. So we'll see how we go. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. So first of all, I'll introduce my co-host. Host, God. Um, on the uh, top box is the Luke. And the Todd. Hey, guys. How are you? Todd. Yeah. Luke. Luke Hello. Just to, just to clarify. All right. great. Yeah. All right. And our special guest tonight, very, very special, uh, means a lot to me uh, because I, I'll i talk about Westland uh, shortly, but we've got uh, Andy Bunton, who's up on the top right, Brady Bunch Square. Andy, how are you, mate? Yeah, good, Crafty. Thanks for having me on oh mate it's good you're here looking forward to a good chat and then on the down at the bottom now we need my brady bunch thing back um that's better okay so we've got uh, uh, chris, chris who who set his alarm clock at 5 45 a.m so he could shoot the shit with us and he's probably going to be drinking whiskey with us i i hope so chris is vp of sales of westland is that correct chris it is correct. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. <laughs> Last got, I got checked. One, got one thing right. That's, that's a good start. So, Chris, welcome. Thank you very much for coming, mate. And, um, yeah, we'll just rip straight into it. So um, the first thing we do is we encourage people who are watching to drink something Australian. Um, now, we're drinking something American, thanks to the courtesy of, of Westland, so uh, Andy, you, you got those samples to us uh, in advance. So thank you very much, mate. That that was good. fantastic.
2: They got. Yeah. There. I was a bit concerned about Australia Post, and that's why I sent them about three months earlier. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah just just to play it safe, you know. You, 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 yeah, Australian Post. Let's not get started. All no, right. No. So what we're going to do is we're going to taste a couple of uh, Westland uh, whiskies as we shoot the ship, and um, <laughs> yep. we're going to kick it off with um here's the bottle luke because you got the bottle i posted it to you with australian post and it got there in time for a change where is it no it didn't you haven't got them <laughs> you were just Ooh. saying about Australian post they fucked it
1: up as you're, usual
0: you're kidding no 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 not here oh, we last week sorry I guys <laughs> all right but here's uh, one i prepared earlier oh, oh okay good <laughs> I've got I've got some of the samples here anyway, so I Very can, I can get through it. So, no, I've got that one,
1: but no, Australia Post have shafted us once again. Once they again. did it with our my black snake, uh, Petuga. Yeah. They lost a bottle of that, and I tell you what, Rosemary was devastated.
0: Yeah. That yeah.
1: uh, disappeared, uh, and they've also done it to a couple of my other bottles as well. So uh, I don't know what it is about. My house, they just don't seem to like me.
0: Oh, that's just Australia Post. Yeah. We, 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 so yep, you're yep. gonna
1: have to do the tasting notes for us, Yep. And when we get to the peter which is what I'm actually having a glass of right now, yep.
2: And just on that, Australia Post, if you're listening, we do accept endorsements.
0: <laughs> Australia Post, we're putting you in the same category as Telstra. So uh, that's that's saying something uh, just, anyway, that's, enough in jokes. that's enough in jokes. Let's rip into this. So, um, Chris, are you drinking anything? Andy, are you drinking anything? I, I am going to be terribly honest. I am not drinking anything and only
3: because my rental car, it is like two miles away from my hotel. So originally we had planned on doing this last week as a group and I was yeah. going to be seated in my nice comfortable home drinking <laughs> along with you in that exact moment. And then we are, it turns out, terrible at telling time as a collective yeah, group no. here, the, the five it's of not, us.
1: It's not good.
3: And, and yes, we, we, we were basically trying to figure out how many hours ahead, behind, weeks ahead or weeks behind Australia is to the eastern part of the US. And it turns out we should just trust the internet more often, which is something I never thought I would actually say out loud. Yeah. <laughs> so I am... I am literally, I am literally in a hotel somewhere in Miami right now. There is whiskey in the back of like the smallest Jeep little hybrid thingy I've ever seen in my life. And I couldn't even begin to tell you if I walked outside of this hotel where that car is right now.
1: Is there no mini bar?
3: <laughs> you were putting tell you up.
1: Is there no mini
3: bar? <laughs> I will tell you if there is one thing that makes me sad about hotels in America, is that the mini bar, while not dead. COVID has effectively destroyed because like there is, there's not like not even a bag of chips in this hotel. There is literally oh. the worst coffee you could possibly ask to be drank in your life, but there isn't, I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure like a picture of whiskey is illegal in this hotel at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but want I to would
1: say. I, up too high then.
3: <laughs> I, I'm sure you can probably hear it a bit in my voice. I did plenty of sampling last evening. So I can assure you that whatever you need me to describe for you, I'm the man to do so. <laughs>
0: All right. All right uh, Andy, you're drinking, mate. You must be.
3: I am. I am. And it's
2: actually funny that we got had to move this back a week because if we had done it last week, I would have been doing it from a hotel room in Sydney uh, <laughs> with, with as pathetic a mini bar as what Chris was just talking about. <laughs> so luckily now I'm comfortably uh, sitting at home and I've got the Westland American Oak that I'm drinking. Good.
0: Excellent. Nice. I'm on the American Oak as well. Right. Alright, well let's let's start talking. Um, so from my perspective personally, um, some of the big influences on what I do at Craftworks were Corsair Distillery, Westland Distillery, Brooklady, and of recent, uh Waterfed. Um and it's so, good company. Yeah, yeah, no, I I <laughs> I mean, I started with Brookladdy. That—that that was you know, the temple of Brookladdy. I've worshipped the temple of Brookladdy to to this day. Um, but Westland, i, I remember uh, when Matt Hoffman uh, presented at the uh, there was a whiskey conference in in Scotland, and in twenty seventeen, and introduced Westland to to the Scottish and you know the the approach of, of making whiskey and not making trying to make Scotch. And I remember at the end. The room was just silent and Dave Broom said, right, any questions? And there wasn't one question from a Scotsman about making whiskey and, and the Americans making uh, single malt whiskey, which I, I thought was really interesting. I thought Matt's presentation was amazing uh, and just ahead of its time, to be honest. Um, so I think it's a, I think it's yeah. a fair Thing to say, and it's funny because
3: I've just gotten back with our vice president of marketing, Steve, who's a, a good buddy of mine, and we found it was really interesting to do samplings, conversations, masterclasses, whatever you want to call them, over in Scotland because there's the assumption that they're going to be the ones that push back against it the hardest. The reality is, is that we found it to be probably one of the most welcoming communities for what we're doing. Listen, there, there's no doubt you're a bit sort of going into the dragon's den and kicking it in the <laughs> tail and going like. Hey, we're here, just wanted to let you know. But at the same time, there's this element where I think they also appreciate that they just want to see good single malt whiskey available in the marketplace. And at Westland, we're certainly, you know, obviously that's a compelling part of what we're trying to do, but but I would say even more so, we're trying to show people that, you know, we're not trying to disrupt Scotch and and make Scotch in America. That's not even remotely the intention of what we want to do. You know, I think you, you were kind of saying it, Craig, and the idea here is is that, you know, we want to be making something that's authentic, something genuine to America with a real sense of place. And it's funny because the four producers you mentioned before, if I were to think about something that's sort of the common red thread between all of them, it's the fact that we're all trying to make something with a genuine sense of place.
0: Yes, mm-hmm. I agree. I 100%, 100% agree. And I, I remember uh, reading something about Matt Hoffman. He was saying um, that... Um, now people are saying why doesn't westland make uh bourbon and He goes, why would we do that we don't have corn we have barley we have good barley some of the world's best barley why don't we do it with that it makes so much sense it, it
3: is it is a question that i i mean all right so i just said earlier i'm in miami came down here for a couple of events i did we're doing this really big campaign called the judgment of west and i can get to that type, type of stuff later but Every single night, and it's been two straight nights, I've gotten the exact same question, which is, well, yeah, but when's your bourbon gonna come out? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like this is not even remotely the intention of what we're trying to do here because it is literally so ingrained in the whiskey culture here that like American whiskey equals bourbon, mm-hmm. that we we when we try to explain to people that you know whiskey is nothing more than a you know, it's it's a it's a distilled spirit made with cereal grains, right? Like let's think of that from the very top line level. Well, when we, we tell people like, yeah, our cereal grains out in the Pacific Northwest are wheat and barley. And obviously we've got just an incredibly vibrant craft brewing community out in the Pacific Northwest. And there's an element to what we do at Westland that's paying homage to that. And and people are just like, well, yeah, but when's the bourbon coming out? And you're just like,
0: yeah, okay. I,
3: I guess that's where this is
0: going now. <laughs> so the, the, the category of um, American Single malt whiskey—it's it, really starting to crystallize now in the US, isn't it? I think you're on the verge of actually getting—I uh, don't know how, how you describe it, as recognition, certification, or, or whatever—is that—is that right? Am I right on yeah, that?
3: Yeah, you have to be careful because if you say it out loud like three times, Beetlejuice will show up. But I will tell you, like it is—it <laughs> is something like we are. I, I laugh because I've been at Westland now just about six years, and. We've been talking about like, yeah, in the fall of this year or the spring of next year, it's going to happen. We're going to be recognized as an official category of spirit here in America. But I will tell you, and hand on my heart, we just had Steve from Westland just got back from a meeting with the TTB in Washington, D.C., like a week ago. And they were like, yes, we are ready to kind of move forward on this. The intention is, is that once they sort of announce the potential change, it will then get put into an open comment period. And that open comment period is an opportunity for them to say, okay, here's the published list of, we'll call it a standard of identity, what it actually is. And once that goes through that public comment period, it can get ratified. And then literally American single malt whiskey will be a legally enforceable category. If you look, you know, Crafty, if you look at the bottles that you have there, sorry, uh, Todd and Luke, if you look at the bottle you have there, you'll notice that one of the neat things about it is like, We've actually had to be a bit clever with the packaging. So you'll notice that American single malt and the word whiskey don't appear on the same line. Mm. It's because we're legally required to do so because according to our own federal government, right now at this very moment, American single malt doesn't legally exist. Now, we can do it because we, we produce Westland under the broad category of whiskey in America, but American single malt, this sort of, you know, very specific single distillery, 100% malted barley, you know, distilled to no higher than 80, bottled no lower than 40, you know, no specific component to an age statement, but matured in nothing larger than a 700 liter cask, uh, oak cask, you know, those are, those are things that we do as like a self-enforcement policy. But Uh they're not required of us just yet. But we're hoping, literally, truly, by the spring of next year, this will be one of those things where, actually, if you want to put American single malt whiskey on a bottle, here is the very precise standard of identity, much akin to the way the SWA does for Scotch whiskey, and says this is what it has to be in order to qualify for that. Wow.
1: It's been a long time. That's that's happening around the world as well. I I think Japan has recently... um, uh, defined I don't think as legally
3: still pretty um,
1: loose
2: their
3: definition
1: yeah but but they put some form of definition around what is a Japanese whiskey
3: they, um, they literally had to I think it'd mm. gotten to the point where I mean there's enough clever people in the industry that realize like whiskey could literally leave Scotland like skip off a port in Japan and it could turn around with kanji on the packaging and become Japanese whiskey like that's a problem
0: I, I yeah, will tell yeah. you,
3: as a consumer who spends, God, a disgusting amount of money on whiskey, and I'm sorry, honey, I just want to be clear in advance. But as someone that spends too much I money was. on whiskey, if she doesn't watch. Oh, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll I'll tell you, it's it's one of those things where, like, I want as much transparency in the industry as well. And and Craig, that's another term that you'll see if you were to ask those four producers you said earlier: Waterford, Goval, Brocklady, mm. Westland. Transparency is an enormous part of what we all have mm. as a mission. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. No, cool. I mean.
1: The, the company of uh, of Waterford goes so far as to put the individual yep. thing on the bottle. You can trace the whole thing all the way back. Um, it's interesting. Todd and I were, before we came on, on air, we were looking at your website and looking at the level of transparency that you've got.
3: We which have a I've patent seen. attorney. We had a patent attorney come for a tour and said we were alarmingly transparent at one point, which is like the yeah. greatest, the greatest left-handed compliment you can get in <laughs> It's <laughs> like You're just like, I think I know what you're trying to say, but it was, I, they're right. I mean, listen, I, we make the joke, but it is a genuine thing. If you have like an extra $10 million laying around and you want to start your own version of Westland, like we'll, we'll gladly kind of help take you through the steps and show you the things that we do. Because the reality is it, it's not just money to become great whiskey. There's a lot more that goes into it. And I think you guys of, of, of anyone, you know, people that are really in the industry would understand that like, it's not a matter of just even though listen, having great raw materials, being able to source those things relatively locally, all super important things to be clear. But mm-hmm. there is there's an enormous amount of like your sense of place, the culture we, we say all the time, Westland is not only a reflection of like, where we are from, but it is who we are as a people. Mm. And you can't I, – I don't I, – listen, I, I certainly have not met a distiller or I've not met a brand that has been able to successfully falsify that. Mm.
1: Yeah, Absolutely.
0: no, the, the authenticity the, – The story of is so huge. I
1: mean, crafty can certainly testify to that.
0: To what? Sorry, what was that? I missed that.
1: To, to the story. I mean, your uh, – I guess your main tagline is, is humanizing the art of whiskey.
0: Yeah. So That's people true.
1: want the story. It's-
0: that's our tagline, humanizing the outer whiskey, which is built on transparency, accessibility, and storytelling. Uh, and it yeah, but it's not the craft show, so we're not talking about craft it's we're talking about, <laughs> about wrestling. I got a question for you, because this really does my head in. And I and I haven't been able to get a straight answer from an American distiller uh, that I could understand the answer. So
3: so no pressure or anything.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, Jesus, oh, wait we'll <laughs> set it up. Here we go, Here we go guys, the dig dive. So in America, you use new American white oak, freshly charred barrels, right? And that's for bourbon. You can't go into, say, an ex Oloroso sherry cast straight off the bat, can you? Is that just related to the bourbon category or is it related to the whiskey category in general in, in the U.S.? It's, it's actually option C, believe it or not. So it
3: is, it, it is legally, so bourbon, yes, legally bourbon needs to start a new white American oak, charred new white American oak. Right. Whiskey does not technically need that. However, there are an enormous number of categories that do require the use of new white American oak. So we'll say sort of whiskey is the overarching category. There are a lot of subcategories that require that. That was actually a very specific part of the standard of identity for American single malt that we did not want added. So we didn't want it to require you to use new oak because and I was thinking about this a lot lately, you know, good regulations, good governmental regulations of which there are few and far between, they should yeah. act as a funnel, right? They should, they should say, okay, as long as you're within these sort of guide rails, you can move forward to the next thing of what you want to be referred to as what bad regulations do is they act as a box. They say you must do X in order to be considered Z. And yeah. and that was a huge thing that we wanted to avoid because, and in, in particular, This is something that you need to be sensitive to for a barley-based spirit. Barley-based spirits are just so light-bodied in comparison to a corn and rye-based spirit that's obviously the more commonplace thing done here. So if you say to to a bourbon producer, just let's say a generic whiskey distiller here that's going to make a corn-based spirit, more often than not, they're going to want some kiln-dried new white American oak to help balance out some of the oiliness or some of the roundness and sweetness that the corn-based spirit has on its own. Whereas right. in a barley-based spirit, it's actually something we have, you have to be really careful because one of two things can happen. Either you're going to have to sit on the whiskey so long to allow that oak character to really degrade over time to balance itself out. Or you're going to have to do what Westland's done, which is you have to basically sh- like kind of shoo away the use of uh, kiln-dried new white American oak. So we still use quite a bit of new white oak, but we use yeah. air-dried much more akin to the way that a winemaker would. So those those air-dried casks are 18 to 24-month curing times. And literally during that cure time, you're breaking down a huge amount of the tannin that exists in that. So by the time that we fill that that style of oak with our distillate, we're not precipitating a huge amount of tannin into the the new-make spirit.
1: Hmm. So you're not getting as much of that that vanilla, like quintessential American oak, um, bourbon vanilla flavor.
3: You'll still get some of it, but yeah, I would say the intensity of it is a little bit different, but really more than anything, it's that you you lose a lot of that massive, aggressive tannin note. Mm. And again, you don't notice it when you drink a lot of bourbon or a lot of rye. And, and I would say a lot of American distilled spirits because there's a corn-based distillate, because it does such a, as a grain, corn does such a nice job balancing out against the tannin of kiln-dried oak. In barley, mm. you just don't have that. It's it's. I, I often think it's one of the major reasons why in the SWA or in, the, in most single malt Scotch whiskey producers, you'll tend to see a huge predominance of ex bourbon there. Mm. Because if they know that, that that's not going to completely destroy the character of the spirit, it's gonna allow it to be sort of a, a more gentle and soft maturation. Yeah. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. And if you know that you're gonna to wanna to hold spirit for 10 to 15 years, you don't need to use new oak at that point for the most part. Mm. No. Well,
2: tannins will kill a single malt whiskey very quickly. You know, yeah, It will yeah. really take over that, that kind of oakiness. So that's why it's good to, especially in Scotland, they use casts that have had something in it before that are good at holding onto tannins. And, you know, American white oak doesn't have as many tannins as European oak, but, you know, sherry is really good at holding onto them and taking some of them out. Mm. Tannins also being water-soluble, so that, you know, that air drying as opposed to kiln drying will allow, you know, the... Six to eight seasons of of rain and snow and water and and whatever to come and help to leach some of those tannins out and you know make it Mm. a a bit more accessible for maturing single malt whiskey. Just break it Mm. down a bit. Yeah.
1: Mm. Uh, Here I I thought Scotland just used uh, ex bourbon barrels because they cut down all their trees and didn't have any wood left to make their own barrels.
2: (laughs) It's because they're cheap and Scots are tight. Yeah. It's it's (laughs) it's, it's more
3: more than. More than anything, it's a costing thing, but I'll, I'll touch on what Andy was saying the to touch earlier, which is, I remember the first time I went out to ISC, so independent state companies where we buy a huge amount of our new white American oak. They have two cooperages. They have the Kentucky Cooperage, which is basically the bourbon cooperage. So it's mostly kiln dried coming out of that facility. And then they have what they affectionately refer to as like the wine cooperage, which is out in Missouri. And I mean, these, I remember when we got out there, the drying yard, which is just outside, it's 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 got to be 50 60 70 acres at a minimum i'm probably Mm -hmm. dramatically underselling that and i mean you're talking about just stacks of wood i mean stacks of, of palletized wood just as far as the eye can see and i remember saying to chad spalding who's our isc rep i looked down and i was like oh man you guys must have a ton of iron in your water you're a lot of metal because there was this like rust colored water everywhere and that was literally the tannin that had precipitated and oxidized has this like really reddish color. And I was just like, that was one of those like watershed moments for me. when I was like, holy shit. Like, yeah, this is the other side of the moon. This is is the way that you can do things when you're really specifically focused on the quality of raw materials and not just making an efficient style of whiskey.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, Before we go any further, Andy, I've just drunk my um, American oak. Uh, I really enjoyed it uh, as I always do. how would you describe it? What's your tasting notes when, you, when you're uh, talking to people about this one?
2: So the thing that I talk to people about with Westland is that it's, it's definitely whiskey that will evolve according to the temperature. So, you know, if you've just taken out the boot of your car like I have, so it's still quite cold from uh, driving around on a miserable summer day in Melbourne. Um, but the main flavours that I get from the American oak would be like a really rich, like Turkish coffee. And yep. uh, 70% cocoa. They're the two main flavours that I get from this. And then there's a lot of other things that are going on that you might be able to pick up at, at different temperatures. You know, you can add a dash of water, which helps to open it up a little bit as well, because it does start at, you know, all the whiskeys are 46% and higher from Westland. Right. Right. Obviously 46% being that magical number with your filtration. Uh, so we don't do any of that at Westland, which is, again, you know, creating an authentic whiskey, no colouring added as well. Yeah. Um but yeah they they're the two main flavors that I get from okay. from the American oak which is that rich rich coffee and
0: and chocolate as well. Quite buttery as well. Quite buttery on the nose and and quite buttery in, in the in the mouthfeel. It's it's delicious. Absolutely delicious. There's a lot
3: of viscosity to that whiskey. There's like a natural weighting to it and and part of that's the 46 but I think the other element to it is that you're getting this um you're getting quite a bit of malt character so both of you were mentioning this coffee and chocolate thing that is the direct result of using roasted malts i i've hmm. you know 15 odd years in this industry i have yet to taste a barrel that naturally produces coffee and chocolate as flavors unless it held like you know mars bars and coffee before you put whiskey into it and i'm i'm pretty sure it doesn't that exist would be as amazing a flavor. Yeah. crafty's I, I, just, about just
2: about to turn around and write that on his <laughs> blackboard yeah, yeah i just, I just want,
0: to be, I want to be clear i've already said something to the patent office <laughs> Actually, I'll, I'll say something to that, Chris, though. Um, I agree with what you're saying. I, I use base malts and roasted malts. It's a big yep. part of, of where we started at Craftworks. We basically took a stout beer recipe and stripped it down, and that was the way we went. But I have experienced chocolate notes um, in whiskey that has had no roasted malts at all, and it's it's come down to the char. It's a, it's a barrel char. Under interesting. You can actually pick a... A chocolate note, mm. which it did my head in the first time I tasted it. Right, what mm. do we drink, Sandy? The sherry. Sherry. We go going to the sherry next year. Yep. All right. Mm. We'll go to the sweetwood. Pour I'm away, Todd uh, and lead. Pour oh, yeah. away. It's going <laughs> to turn up tomorrow, isn't it?
1: It's going to. It's going to
3: turn up tomorrow, most
0: definitely. And then I'm just
1: going to drink it all. Oh.
0: Oh.
3: <laughs> that should. I be. Will- I, I, okay. it's, it's always kind of fun because obviously you guys are working through what we refer to as our core range, right? So the American oak, the with the peated; those are the things that are, hmm. I, I mean, there is foundational to what we do at Westland, but it's interesting because when I think back to the, the sort of origin story of each of those things, you know, a big part of it was American oak was this opportunity to say, okay, plant the flag in the ground and go, this is what Westland wants to be. It's the use of a five malt, right? So Washington state grown base pale malt with four specialty roasted malts. Uh, we use a Munich malt. Uh, pale chocolate malt, a brown malt, and a, a malt literally called Brice Extra Special, which because oh. they ha- they call it extra special because they already had a special malt. I kid you not. <laughs> you know it's this use of it's the use of uh, Belgian saison brewers yeast. It's the use of that air dried new white American oak. So. I tell people all the time, like in American Oak, when you taste that whiskey, even though it's a, I would think, I would like to think that whiskey is really well balanced, really well rounded. It's, it's not angular. It's not like one thing stands out and one thing doesn't get tasted. Like those whiskeys are designed to be where like, you can literally kind of observe all of the raw materials. in there. So like on the nose, we get a lot of these sort of like orange peel, lemon zest, dry cherry thing. Mm-hmm. That's a great example. Of a high fermentation temperature with our Belgian yeast, so we do. And I, God, I just realized I, I haven't done the calculations in my uh, my head, but you know we're about eighty, you know, degrees Fahrenheit. So I want to say that's maybe about twenty seven ish C, or I might be a try on that.
1: According to your website.
3: All right. If yeah, we, I was going to. say. We
1: did notice that you do use metric. On the yeah, website Matt. So I would say
3: Matt is like a hardcore proponent of the metric system. He is. As he is he slowly but sure. <laughs> it, it's the right way. It's not, it's not just going numbers.
0: What's going on?
3: <laughs> it, it is. It is kind of funny because I've, I've, you know, I'm it, obviously in the pandemic of all things. You know, I'm not doing as many sort of like in-person masterclasses and we're doing a lot more virtual things. And I've I've had to like go back and be like, God, don't forget the stupid conversion. Don't forget the stupid conversion kind of thing. (laughs) But it is, but but to get kind of back to the point, it's like, yeah, I mean, you so you can pick up some of that fermentation character on the nose. You can certainly taste the malt character. You guys were describing the chocolate and coffee yourselves. And but there is this sort of like lingering finish. And I think, you know, Craig, to your point a lot of it is that that new white American oak. It gives you a little bit of that butteriness, a little bit of that fullness, but it kind of wraps up the palate of the whiskey. And there's there's a little bit of length to that whiskey as well. So that's, you know, when we made that whiskey, it's, I think it wouldn't, I think it would surprise people to know, like that was the first thing that we made. Whereas the safe thing to have done would have been to say like, we're going to make a Sherried and we're going to make a Peated because people immediately associate that with single malt whiskey. And the reality was that we said, no, we want to make the thing that, and I, I literally said this last night. What we do with Westland American Oak, the use of the roasted malt, the use of the yeast, the use of the air-dried new oak—if you were to talk to like 99% of distillers out there, that would be their limited edition whiskey. That mm-hmm. level of creativity, that level of new thought, that level of pushing the borders or pushing yeah. the boundaries of whiskey—that would be their limited edition. And for mm-hmm. us, that is literally like our everyday
0: whiskey. Yeah. It's yeah. Right. Yeah, that's that's that very cool. cool. So, how did you how did you um, go back to the start with Westland. um Yeah, tell us the start the start of the story. And how did you get to a point where you hit the deck running, with a whiskey ready to go? What was the sort of the R and D process putting it together? It was a bunch yeah. of guys who started as home brewers and developed. <laughs> it British.
3: was it was two guys. Yeah, a bunch. I mean, technically, a bunch could be two, but that that counts. So, I mean, I I should be clear, and I want to be transparent. I've not been there since the beginning. I've been there for six years. So we've just celebrated our 10 year anniversary. But I've basically been there since we've been a commercial business, which what a shocker, the guy that's in the sales department comes in when it becomes a commercialized business. So you'll have to appreciate that everything I'm telling you is sort of a, a, you know, a secondhand story. But you know, obviously, the business was founded by two high school friends, a guy by the name of Matt Hoffman, who's still our managing director and master distiller, and a guy named by the name of Emerson Lamb, who's no longer in the business. So Emerson's father, David, financed the entirety of the operation at the beginning. But Matt was sort of of this mindset where he wanted to make something that was focused on the Pacific Northwest, had this element of the flavors here. And to the point you were kind of making earlier, Craig, he was just kind of floored that, you know, people were like, oh, just make bourbon, just do this, just do that. When we've got this incredible bounty of good quality multi-grade barley available to us. So, you know, early days of Westland, pre-commercialized Westland, there was literally an R&D facility out in like a boathouse in, you know, Mason Lake on the Olympic Peninsula where Matt and Emerson were just running small batches trying different things and that's where the genesis of the five malt comes through which was believe it or not in the very very first runs of westland was just a four malt, and then added a fifth malt to it because we needed that little bit extra you know, the idea to use the air dry new white American oak comes out of there. The idea to use the brewer's yeast comes out of there. You know, in the very early days of Westland. So this would have been back 2010, 2011, you know, when, when Westland was really starting to produce, let's call it commercial quantities of whiskey, but not yet selling anything. You know, we had a local brewery, Odin Brewing, literally doing our mashing for us because we didn't have a facility that could support all of the, the size of that material. You know, over mm. time, we moved to a smaller facility in South Park, which is a, a little neighborhood within Seattle. And now we're in our, our sort of we'll call it what it is, our large production facility and large production facility should be done with finger quotes. But, uh, you know, in, that, that's now all in a of s-
1: perspective,
3: really, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I laugh. I, I was trying to do the math. I my assumption is, is that what we make annually at Westland would probably be made in about a week at like any of the big five in Scotland.
1: And about a year, uh, on at most craft distilleries
3: here in Australia. I, I, I mean, just out of curiosity, Craig, like how many barrels a day do you guys produce?
0: He said a day, didn't he? He did Try. say a day. <laughs> what was
2: that? 0.08 of a percent? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Basically, this year. This year is a record for us. And if all goes according to plan, we'll have 3,000 liters down in the bar- in barrels. <laughs> okay. So, I, but I mean,
3: I mean, that's the thing. Like, listen, there was a point at Westland where like a barrel every couple of days was like something to really be celebrated, like something that we're, you know, now we're up to a couple of barrels a day and quite a few barrels a week. And it's, yeah. you know, there was a time where we experimented. Sorry.
1: Your steel capacity is... Uh, uh, 5,670 liters for the still capacity.
0: How big is that one again, Crafty? 970.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's not about the size, Crafty, it's, yeah, how, it's how you use it. That's yeah. it. so what people
2: eat. with small stills
3: say. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> but I but, but, but getting back to the origin story of Westland, because I'm not well, touching yeah. that with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> yeah. I can it was, it was, you know, it, your, your question, Craig, about you know, commercials. One of the really sort of exciting things about Westland is that every ounce of Westland, every drop of every bottle of Westland that has literally ever existed has come off of Westland still. There's not an ounce of purchase stock in there. Everything that we do is ours. And in the day and age where so much of the industry is now, we'll develop a label, we'll develop a story, and then we'll eventually make our own liquid. Mm. I'm really proud of the fact that with our team, and we've got a fantastic production team who really cares about what they're making. And it's, it's, it's given us a, an ability to go out there and kind of say like, yeah, this has been the this has been the evolution of the spirit. Like we've just made a a really interesting evolution of our our releases here in the U.S. that'll hit Australia maybe by the end of next year. It's an entirely new expression we're referring to sort of internally as flagship. And it's it's this understanding of like, we couldn't have made that whiskey a year ago. We've had all the stock, but we couldn't have made the whiskey a year ago because it required a certain level of maturity in our existing laid down stock to be able to get the flavors out of this new bottling that we wanted. And that's the kind of thing where I, I look back and I laugh. I, listen, you know, for what it's worth, before I came to work at Westland, I was working for Gordon McPhail, you know, a country with literally like 130 year history where everyone that was my boss had the same last name which was this incredible experience. They were just fantastic people. And it gave me an opportunity to learn about whiskey at a broad level coming to Westland where it's, you know, I I think we have 30 employees, if I'm being honest, you know, and and I've been there since the evolution of us being an independent and then a startup and now part of a larger spirits company, you get a chance to just see that like, the work doesn't change. You do the same work no matter what the scale is. It it it's maybe the way that you get time to speak about those things, and frankly, the freedom you have to talk openly about that. That's something that I'm we're really keen on at Westland. Is like, we'll t- again, we will literally tell you anything because I think it's really important to have that communication, and it's important for the next wave of craft distillers coming up, not only in America but around the world, to understand that there is there's nothing to hide from here. Like, be genuine, be yourself. Tell people the truth, and it, as long as you believe in what you make, you're going to produce good whiskey more
0: often than not. Yeah, mm. No, that's that, that's good advice. What about when um, uh, your parent company? So your parent company is Remy, is that Remy? Right? Yeah, Remy Cointreau. Remy Remy so so back I, know, in- I know with um, with Brooklady, Brook you know, Brooklady was fiercely independent. That that was their that was their basically their brand, right? And when they were acquired by Remy, there was a lot of concern that it was just going to destroy Brook Laddie's sense of of identity. And that never actually happened. Remy basically left them alone from from what it looks like talking to people uh, inside Brook Laddie and, and just people observing. Is it the same with Westland? Is that what hey.
3: happened? A hundred percent hand on heart, I can say absolutely that's exactly the same thing here. And and here's – I've, I've thought about this a lot over the last, you know, five or six years. And one of the reasons that it's been like that for us is truly because, you know, Remy before the acquisition of of Brook Lottie, was a company that worked with other distillers, but didn't own other distilleries, right? They work with Highland Park, they work with McAllen, they had a good partnership going with the Edgerton Group. So they were in the whiskey business as a marketing and sales organization, but they weren't involved in the production and those sort of like elements of like deciding those things. So when they bought when they bought Brooklottie, it was the first time that they could do those things. And to their credit, and frankly, to, to a, a level of restraint that's really hard for big companies to have often, they said, no, we're going to let you continue to do what you want. We bought you because we liked what you were doing. Why would we come in and say, yeah, we're going to you know, turn this screw this way one way and this one the other way. And I will tell you, because Simon Coughlin stayed with Remy or stayed with Braclotti and then was elevated to the CEO of the Whiskey Business Unit, which obviously Westland's a part of with Braclotti and our, our sister facility Domain Gloss, out in the, the French Alps he was able to go in and say every time that we bring in a new distillery here it's really important that we don't disrupt the culture that is a critical part of it yeah listen i'll be the first to admit there have been things they've modernized from our sales and our route to market approach but i i can say hand on heart i've never heard someone from remy say oh i wish you did this or i wish you did that or have you considered this i i don't think they would dare to do it one because Westland is full of a bunch of like headstrong, very independent people. We were a bit of a magnet for that sort of an attitude, for better or worse. It can make for very interesting meetings as an individual team. Uh, but but more than that, it's it's that I think at Westland in particular, had they come in and tried to dial in things or change things, it would have been even more noticeable because of how how fierce that independent streak was in us.
0: Mm. So there's a lot of similarities then between Brookladdy and Westland so you all get in the room and swap notes and 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 share information and there's a yeah, local- uh, 100% i mean their production team, you know, I, I, and Alan
3: Logan, Adam Hannett, their entire production team are just fantastic. And I know, you know, our blender, Shane Armstrong and Matt, our master distiller, and, and Scott Sell, our director of ops, and Tyler Peterson, our distiller's manager, they spend an enormous amount of time going back and forth with those guys. Now, obviously, they're at a scale that's a little bit different than ours. I mean, we are a, we are a fraction of the size of Berclotti. Berclotti has had an unbelievable run of success over the last, you know, dozen years or so that they've really developed into – a major player in single malt scotch whiskey. I, right. I, I would like to think at some point, Westland can make the same impact on its own industry the way that Bricklotti has. But what they've been really great about is kind of showing us the opportunity that exists to keep that brash, outspoken, defiant attitude but also, frankly, become a little more accessible to the to the new drinker. It's funny. Briclotti, a brand that has, I would say, just such an, an incredible story, such a unique style of liquid and like the classic Lottie, their their, their mm. entrance skew. You know, yeah. that's a whiskey that you would – I think a lot of people would look at it and go, well, it's not really a whiskey for like new people coming in. But in fact, like I think Briclotti does uh, an excellent job being like – yeah. This is something yeah. new. This is something you can try, and and we've really tried to do some of that at Westland as well. It's not been like, oh, we're going to change our liquid. We're going to do this. We're going to do that to to make that happen. It's been the way that we communicate. Because and I, I see this now, and Andy, I would imagine, sees this as much as anyone. The whiskey community is just it's doubling in size. What feels like on like a daily basis. It's it's no longer the yeah, it's, it's that the whiskey shows that I go to. Yeah. It's no longer that the whiskey shows basically are just like a room full of me's, which I mean, that wouldn't even be fun if it was like, I can't stand myself enough to be in a room full of me's. So I think that's like a really important part of it. Like I, I'm glad the whiskey industry is coming in. I, at an event last night, we had a ton of younger women at the event, a ton of people asking good questions, a lot more people of color. It's become a much more inclusive environment where these local whiskey societies are bringing great people in who just want to drink excellent whiskey.
0: Mm. And learn. There, there's an insatiable yeah. thirst, uh, which is which is great from a from a distiller's standpoint. You know, you you love engaging with with you know, people that that enjoy whiskey, because that's how we started and still are. I, I was uh, mm. presenting last night with two other distilleries, uh, friends of mine uh, in local New South Wales, and I got up there and one of the things I said is first and foremost, I'm a whiskey lover, yeah. so. I'm like you guys. You know, I get a buzz out of, out of hearing someone uh, talking about their story and answering questions. That's, that's to me, that's, that's the big part of it. Um, that's got a G on. Yeah, I know what that is. It's is, uh, with Australian Post. But uh, Bus. I had the Sherry. I enjoyed that. Thank you very much, Andy. I really enjoyed that. It's, um,
1: I'm going to say that's the uh, Garyana. That is
0: what it is. Yep, that'll be it.
1: Can I pronounced that right, Garyana. You
0: did, yeah, Garyana. Really excited by this. So why I'm pouring? Which,
1: yeah, I'm so upset that we don't have it because it sounds <laughs> uh, fucking amazing.
0: The the whole concept of, of, of a different white oak uh, mm. and what I've read about it is yeah, it's 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 exciting. So, Chris, tell us about it. Tell us where it started. I mean. Where yeah,
3: is that G- Where's that going? Garyana's origins are almost as old. Garyana is a part of Westland are almost as old as the origin story of Westland. Um, so what is Garyana is maybe the easiest thing to start with. Garyana is a local species of oak or uh, an indigenous species of oak to the Pacific Northwest. So uh, for those for those folks that aren't like terribly familiar with the geography of the US, when I, when I say the Pacific Northwest, I'm talking about the state of Washington. So obviously out in the, the northwestern corner where we're from, Oregon. I would say Idaho, parts of Montana, certainly Western Montana. And, and you could make an argument, even though I think people in Washington and Oregon would argue against this, but parts of like Northern Cali could probably get some level of agreement to being part of the PNW. know, back in the 1850s, Gary Oak was pretty widely populated throughout the Pacific Northwest. It was really sort of accessible everywhere. And what you found is from the 1850s through today, it, it had the unfortunate trait of wanting to grow or having these sort of Gary Oak savannas where people wanted to put housing in. And what they didn't take into account is that we had basically just completely devastated this resource over the last 150 odd years to the point where Gary Oak grows in about 5% of the native habitat that it did back in the 1850s. I mean, it really is in, in, in rough shape right now now that probably sounds like an interesting thing for to, for me to say given that we're a brand that works with gary Cast. but one of the really unique elements of this is that in our gary oak project we work with fallen trees so we don't we don't actively go out and source fresh cut gary oak trees in fact in the state of oregon it's like a $10,000 fine for cutting down a gary oak tree yeah it's a, it's a really sort of aggressive fine so we work with these cooperages locally we work with local lumber mills to identify what would you would describe as like hazard oak so oaks that have the potential to fall on someone's home or oaks that have just fallen down after a forest we've literally had to develop this economy organically to go out and like source these things because Hmm. there wasn't really anyone doing with it because and this gets to the sort of style of it gary oak is a very different flavor profile from european oak from frankly even just classic quercus alba white oak in the states Gariana is naturally phenolic. Um, Think about all the flavors that exist in white oak, right? There's like that vanilla, butterscotch, coconut cake kind of thing going on. Gariana is all of those flavors with a dash of liquid smoke covered in barbecue sauce. Like that's the best way to describe (laughs) it. So it's it's nutmeg, clove yeah it's like a lot of nutmeg clove ginger i get a lot of like beef pan drippings to it it's very meaty really kind of big and oily i I, the the tasting note i get quite a bit from folks is like it's got a bit of like a jamaican pot stilled rum funkiness going on jamaican me hungry (laughs) the uh the (laughs) the neat thing the neat thing about cariana is like in the before oh. we released Garyana, we've been doing Garyana as edition starting back in twenty would have been twenty sixteen. So Garyana Edition one came out in twenty sixteen. We've just released Garyana Edition Six, which my assumption, Craig, is that you have Garyana Edition Five. Andy can probably
2: no crafty'll you have number four. Oh there. man, Ooh, that's we, pretty awesome. We we had five in here in marketing in Australia, just a small allocation. Um and it did go very I'm not quickly, telling you when so that arrived. Just uh just waiting for number six to, to get it. over here.
3: So what's, you know, started back in 2016 with Edition 1, but actually prior to that, and these are the things that, like, I, I kid you not, I get emails every week from collectors being like, hey, where are those single casts? We released a handful of single casts of Gariana, which if you ask a lot of the folks on the Westland team, and Matt, I think, would come on and say the same, I would argue they were too much. They were intense. I mean, those whiskeys were like, you needed a knife and a fork and a napkin to kind of chew through them. They were big Aggressive bottles of whiskey and people went nuts for them. So, this is I, I want to say that was like Cask 117, 118, 115, and it might have been once I think it was 115 through 118. So, these are the four single casts and they got released to various retailers around the United States. When we started doing the edition series of Gariana, the way that but people associate, I think, with them now, which is you know, comes out every September, October ish, assuming that we can get goods moved around the world with some level of ease. And then in really small quantities, you know, we recognize that we could make a really interesting whiskey that showcased a lot of Gariana flavor, but only used a couple of Gary Oak casks in the vatting. I, I think if you, I'd, I'd have to look up the tasting notes back on four, it's been a couple of years at this point. But if you were to think about that whiskey, the reality is, is like, rarely do we exceed 25% Gary O casks in the vattings for those things. Right. And and you can mm. still pick up such an immense amount of that flavor coming through. So the four, if memory serves correct, was where we really kind of went heavy with quite a bit of sherry gasks in there because we wanted to show off kind of like the full-bodied element of sherry along with sort of like rich, spicy mm. element that kind of comes through from garianna. And they they really do work well. But I think if you were to look at just like a pure profile sheet of like what sherry does and what garianna does, you'd probably think, wow, this is going to be way too big on the palate but it's a it's a big whiskey and keeping them up at strength up at 50 does a nice job at helping balance out some of the casking elements there. It's very cool. There's a,
1: there, there's a lot of elements in there just looking at the uh the cask types of the yeah edition six where you've got second fill uh Pedro jimenez sixty five percent the virgin gariana at twenty five percent ex uh calvados ex american grape brandy and washington apple
3: brandy
1: wow yeah six six is a bit of a kitchen
3: sink yeah there's a lot in number six i'll (laughs) tell you i was tasting it last night and i am really enjoying that whiskey it's but each of them have such a a unique profile and that's something really important to us is that you know whereas some people make a limited release annually and it's the same product year after year after year which there's no no fault to that that's their prerogative. With garyana, we want to showcase the versatility of the species of oak. So we're going to use it with a variety of different types of other casts, a variety of different other types of mashes or barley bills, if you want to call them, because we want to show that, like, yeah, garyana can do a whole lot of interesting things when you work it the right way.
1: And different strengths as well. So edition six is at 50%. I'll What's the? I'll, I'll tell, edition- yeah, I'll, I'll tell
3: you a funny story. They're, so they've all been 50% since edition three. So, and there's a, there's a great story here. So addition two of Gariana was meant to be bottled up at a higher proof. And we had a, a mishap in the, we had a mishap in one of the, the warehouses. And for some reason, a tank got mislabeled or something, or, or a tank was misunderstood what it was, and it got watered down to, I want to say on that one, it was 53, but God, I'd have to look back. It's been a number of years now. And we tasted it and we were like, oh, actually, this is great. Like, this is really, really good. Something that like when Gary on a one, we were like, no, we're just going to do them as like that at cast range. And then we, the next year we were like, all right, let's try it at 50. And we were like, oh yeah. And this was early days of Wesson when like, the demand for Gariana so vastly outstripped the supply of what we could make that we were mm-hmm. like, yeah, we'd like there, there'd be enough of this to like get out. I mean I remember you know Australia was a market that got pretty early batches of of Gariana. Japan was one that got pretty early batches of Gariana and like you know people would be like, okay, we're gonna place our order for more Gariana, and we'd be like, oh yeah there there to be very clear, there is no more until like September of next year and people okay. were like, cool, well, but we want more now. So it's it's there's the balancing act, and I'm I'm, Craig. I'm sure you go through this as well. It's like you know you want to make sure that people have access to things that they're really excited about, but also you have to kind of you have to protect it because you can. Mm. I I don't know if it's an expression that exists in Australia, but I call it like the hug of death, right? Where like you love something so much that you like you inherently ruin it, and that's not what we want to do. We want to you know we if in fact. The series that Garyana belongs to called the Outpost Ranges is, is expanded this year with a new whiskey called Caleri, which is entirely focused on barley. So it, it's the success of these things that's allowed us to expand the horizons of working with new types of raw materials. And, you know, I'll make the the kind of impassioned plea back to like when Westland was an independent distillery, the amount of capital that would have needed been added in to continue to do these projects was so so incredibly high that having Remy come in as a parent company that that like literally, I mean, Remy has been just fantastic in this regard. They've come in and they've basically said to us, like, we think this is super interesting as well. How much do you need to do these things? And we've been like, you know, sheepishly writing a number down and they're like, yeah, go do that. And and that is, I'll, I'll tell you, there's a really, compelling part to being able to go to your parent company and say to them like we believe this is meaningful we can't promise it's going to return a huge amount of like profit or it might not be profitable for ages but what we can do for you is we can we can show you that like the world of whiskey has so much more to offer than two row pale malt in ex bourbon aged for 10 years bottled Mm. in 43% with a chill filtration like that is that the world does not need another one of those
0: No, it's 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 pushing. I'll tell you a funny story, an Australian story. So, have you heard the brand, um, a Bundaberg? Oh yeah, yeah. Bund-
3: it's, I, ironically, it is in it is usually in this hotel's minibar. I kid you not.
0: Yeah, that wouldn't surprise <laughs> us. Well, so Bundy has a lot to answer for. A lot of sore heads, uh, oh, in mm-hmm. people in their twenties that. You know, they they had a bad experience and they went, that's it. Rum's not for me, right? Same as some people had a bad whiskey experience. Anyway, um, I know someone who worked at Bundy and he was part of a, a group and they went to Bundy management and they said, can we please make rum? And they went, what do you mean? They go, can we please go and get some barrels? Can we please make some really high quality rum and show that we can make really high quality rum? And they did. And they won World's Best Rum. This was about, I don't know, five years ago, I think. You recall, Andy, when, when this happened, when Bundy yeah. won? And it was like, bugger me, <laughs> they can make rum. And they that actually became a division, my understanding, within Bundy. And they released the, these these special uh, cast-release rums. And they're, they're highly sought after, and they're, and they're cracking rums. They're, yeah, they're,
2: they're really good. And my, my first experience with Bundy was up in Townsville. And uh, we call it fighting juice up there. But these these like small batch rums they do are really good.
3: Oh man, I'm finally getting the taste of Australian strange words that I was really hoping for this entire time. Like <laughs> Andy, I just want to be clear. I think I just heard you refer to something as fighting juice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, this is warming my soul in such a good way. Like, I, this is fantastic. I, I just want to point out when when you guys were saying Bundaberg or Bundaberg, however it's pronounced. Forgive me. I we think of it here in the states. It's like a ginger beer. It's like a little capsule ginger beer, and they yeah, make yeah. like soft drinks. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, they do. They do all those the non-alcoholic versions. But then you've got your Bundy Rum, ah, uh, got which it. Has okay. A polar bear as its mascot.
3: No, I wonder uh, if it's owned by why. the same people that make Polar Beverage because that's the same in the U.S.
1: Yeah, right. they did some amazing ads in the 90s.
3: They were brilliant.
0: Yeah. The Polar Bear ads, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're very, very Australian. Even though it's a Polar Bear, they're very Australian yeah. ads. Look it up on YouTube, Bundy Polar Bear. Um, All right, right, oh, yeah. will do. <laughs>
3: it's good,
0: it's good. I'll, I'll give you another story too. This is uh, to show you that screw-ups can, can actually result in a good product. So a distillery not far from me, about an hour from me, called Baker's, Baker Williams. And Nathan worked with grape spirit and and uh, grain spirit. And uh, one day he was decanting one vessel into the next and went, ah oh, fuck. And he'd, he'd mixed them, right? And he, he was really pissed off. He was like, ah, oh, shit, what do I do? So he left it in his shed, and it's a small shed. And every time he went past, he just kick it. It was like a ritual. You know, he walked from one end of the shed to the other, kick it, kick it, kick it. And then one day he tasted it and he thought, bugger me, it's not bad. So he released it as a product called Wildcard and it became highly collectible. Oh, no, man. Sandy, Wildcard?
2: No, I, I don't know about that one, but I love the story.
0: Yeah, it, well, I, I just know, love that he,
2: he kicked it every time he walked past. Like that's just, I can imagine, yeah. I'm a, I grew up on a farm and I could just imagine my dad doing that like every time... You know, a, a broken down motorbike or something, you just walk past and kick it.
3: You can swear under his breath. But... Oh man, I, 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 Craig will know exactly what I'm talking about here, but like anytime you get a stuck mash, the, like, the type of person you hear out of a distiller. It is like the most, like, I'll be honest with you. Craft distillers are creative cursors. They really are. Like I, you know, we, when you, we run some of these new varietals of barley that we've been working with up in Sketch or from Skagit Valley, some of that stuff, it just, it runs a little differently. And there's a bit of a learning curve there with that. And it's like, oh man, when there's been like an interesting mash day with a new varietal, like I learn new words that I've never heard before. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah,
3: it's oh, all about that.
0: I'll let let Luke and Todd tell you. There's too many stories about that. So, where do we start?
1: Yeah, which one?
0: One. I'll kick it off and you can finish it. So, basically, (laughs) I was in the shed milling, brewing, distilling, right? And my phone was ringing all the time and I had to make all these calls. So, I thought, I got to do something. So, like, Andy's got a headset on. I put a headset on and I made my calls and I kept working. And, Luke, you want to finish the story? What not
1: uh, What uh, was that when I came in the first time? Oh no, no, no! no, no! You'll have to so carry on the story, story without me. So, uh, so
2: God, you God, go, God
1: you know.
2: Apparently, there's rather important parts of a mash tun, and Crafty mm. left out an important part. So when he went to pump across his 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 uh, wash, it was full of grain. Oh. So
3: that's so the, the reason basket, wasn't
0: it? Screen in a mash tun.
3: Yeah.
0: And I found out the hard way. So yeah. I oh. put the screen in.
2: Yeah. Thankfully, so, it wasn't seven and a half thousand liters like yeah. someone else's. Mash
3: tun.
1: <laughs> it's that's enough the, of a break <laughs> doing it on my little 24 liter, let alone doing it at your scale, <laughs> and then your scale.
3: <laughs> or, I, yeah, I mean, I, and I look at, like, how the, the level of automation at, like, really big facilities, and I go, oh, man, it must be so easy for them. And I'm like, no, things break no matter where you are, no matter what your size. Things break. And things people like forget Mur-
1: to put the thing on.
3: <laughs> Mur- Murphy's Law is an equal opportunity destroyer of happiness. Yeah. Like, it, it exists everywhere. <laughs> <laughs>
2: chalking Uh, your barrels is also a good thing isn't it crafty what is that
0: chalking your barrels you know writing the names on in chalk yeah yeah yeah. so so when you get barrels from a cooperage uh and they're different different sorts and they've just chalked the barrels as opposed to uh labeling the barrels so the barrels are wrong (laughs) what's that one i don't know what's that one i don't know (laughs) oh man that is the the chalks faded away and uh, anyway we're telling you all the all the stories of australia let's (laughs) let's, let's move on Um, uh, i got a question so in australia now there is close to 400 distilleries i think that's the latest count close to 400 Mm -hmm. now population is what's the population guys i always get this wrong 24 million 25 25, yeah, million.
2: 25 million.
0: Yeah, 24, yeah. 25. Yeah, so 400 distillers, 25, 25 million. And I remember in 2017, America had mm. a 1,000 distilleries for your population. There's about 350-odd
3: million. million, yeah.
0: Yeah. So – yeah it's very interesting uh, looking at the numbers. W- what's the numbers in a, in America
3: now? Oh I god, mean- I I don't I couldn't even begin to tell you the number of desserts in America. admittedly, a, a terribly quick Google search would probably tell us, but here, here's what I can I can give you a sense maybe more specific to single malt whiskey in America. So when we started the American single malt whiskey commission back in two thousand and sixteen, there were like eight producers making single malt whiskey in America, of which, <laughs> You know, Westland was the one of the few that was like exclusively making single malt whiskey. There were other distilleries that were making it as an adjacent. They were doing a bourbon or a rye and maybe they were making single malt or they were doing single malt plus a gin or plus a vodka, those kind of things. I want to say now, last count for the American Single Malt Whiskey Commission for like actual members, there is well over 120. Wow. And we're talking about like a four and a half-ish year window. I mean, there's a huge level of growth of that. So I, I think the challenge here is, listen, the, the prohibition of alcohol that happened, you know, obviously ages ago, has still had a long tail in terms of its impact on the way that people think about distilled spirit products. And it's gotten better and and laws have been really kind of set up, whereas... You know, a lot of states have done great laws to be very advantageous for like craft breweries, but they've not necessarily extended that same thing to distilleries. We're really fortunate. Washington (laughs) State was one of those states that was very clear, like, no, we want to incentivize local people to open breweries, open distilleries to showcase sort of what's accessible here. So in that case, it's been really good for us. In fact, if memory serves correct, like Washington State for the longest time if you wanted a craft distilling license, like half of your grain or half of your raw materials needed to be sourced from the state and you got a reduced tax threshold. So there's a real financial incentive for doing so, which, I mean, you think about that sort of that cyclical impact on farmers, on maltsters, on coopers. I mean, all of those are really good things to be adding to the marketplace.
1: Mm. Yeah. And no, it's- so looking at those, the, I guess the, the, american marketplace of single malt. who else would you be looking at as uh as people to watch
3: yeah it's it, well, i'm glad you didn't use the word competitors because i think that's a really we have to be careful like Right now, we are in the midst of this like 1970s Napa Valley wine thing going on with American Single Malt. We're like, I genuinely want my friends who are at other distilleries to be successful because we're very much in this rising tides moment, right? We mm-hmm. need more people to become aware of American Single Malt. And if that means they pick up a bottle of Balcones, you know, Jared Himstead's a good buddy of ours or the, you know, the stuff from the, the folks over at Cole Keegan down in Santa Fe or Gareth from Virginia distilling, you know, we want to see those things happen. We want people to be experiencing great American single ball. And we want to show up, frankly, the versatility of the way it can be made. You know, what we do at Westland isn't what Balcones does. Isn't what Santa Fe does. Isn't what Virginia does. Like, One of the neat thing that's going to come out of this, and you, you think back to the origins of Scotland, right, with this sort of regional typicity, the six regions and whiskey had a certain sort of sub profile to it, because the technology didn't exist for them to make whiskey in a different way where they could say like, oh, yeah, we'll just make Isla styled whiskey everywhere. The reality is now. There's very much the tech exists where you could you could make any style of whiskey you really wanted to with with little effort. Raw materials are immensely sourceable. If you've got an open checkbook, you can do those sort of things. But what what we found, especially in American malt, is there's been this huge sort of like localization element where, you know, Santa Fe uses quite a bit of mesquite. Uh, which is a local species of wood down there. Balcones uses some post oak, which is about as Texas as it gets. You know, Virginia is using some Virginia grown grain. It's like, those are really compelling elements to it. And it's, it's creating this almost natural, regional style guidelines there and and to be clear we're not telling people they need to do this in fact I, I I'd openly hope that over time people will go out of their way to say like what if we tried to make this you know region style of single ball as like a fun off or a one release and I, I think we'll see some of that
1: that that approach of uh, the the unique individual taste of a region I think is is immensely exciting mm, uh, great yeah, uh, as as we see from from Waterford, where they're able to show that farms next door to each other can have a completely different flavour profile, uh, seeing that on a much larger scale across a continent, I think is is very exciting.
3: That's
0: also I mean, a global, Australia's.
3: is is it? one thing. of the only other countries that can, I think, appreciate this. People lose sight of this, and Australians won't because you're obviously a very large landmass as well. I mean, we're we're 5,000-odd kilometers east to west. You know, we have massive variations in temperature, in soil types, in frankly culture of people, all of those things play a role to what you can produce. I admittedly, I've never been to Australia, Andy will know this, I was designed to come out here and then like the world went to shit 18 months ago and hopefully over time (laughs) I'll be able to get out there because we we (laughs) laugh about it because I was thinking to myself, I was like, God, I can't wait to see another place for like, yeah, from a single country you can mm. see just the breadth of how different a place can be. I, I mean, my assumption is Australia's got like this great like East Coast, West Coast differential like we have in America and to like see those kind of things and to see how different sort of provinces or different states act differently mm. or like I, I, it'll be interesting to see that shown in food and beverage because we
0: certainly have that here in America. One thing that, that we saw, which it was a real eye opener, actually, um, directly related to COVID. Um, each of the states basically took control of their own states and run them almost as autonomous governments. So we're a we're a, we're a country, but we're a federation of states. And, and Andy, you, you you know what I'm talking about here. You know, Victoria yeah. was doing its own thing. New South Wales is doing its own thing. WA they're still doing their own thing. They're doing their, they're own, thing. They're own, do their own thing. thing. We're <laughs> going to be able to go to Bali before we can go to Western Australia. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's strange um but on that note and, and this is a, this is a bit tongue-in-cheek but um so the, the spiritual home of whiskey about whiskey in australia is tasmania right and a lot of people train in tasmania to learn how, how to distill but the tasmanians are very very proud of the fact that they're tasmanians and they're actually pulling away from it from Australia it's like we're not Australian single malt we're we're, we're Tasmanian single malt So we, we give it back to them and go the mainlanders are doing okay they're doing okay on the world stage so Tasmania you might want to come back in the fold of Austral- Australian single malts because it's a it's a bigger category i mean I, I, I would
3: argue if you if you came to my house and you looked in my cupboard i think I I would venture to say now I have a handful of Australian single malts, whereas if you came to someone in the States five years ago and said, you know, do you have any Australian single malts? They'd be like, I think I've seen a bottle of Lark before. That would be kind of what they would have said. And it's great to see that. I mean, obviously, I I laugh because David from Starward now lives out on Bainbridge Island, like not even a 25 minute ferry ride from Seattle. So I I see him all the time. And and I always (laughs) giggle because it's just like, it's amazing. I've seen him more in Europe than I have in Washington state because of just doing road shows and traveling and doing all this stuff. But I, I, I think his whiskey's excellent. I think, I think there's a ton of great whiskey being produced out there. And I think if, if you walk into a retail store, whether it's a Dan Murphy's or a Nick's or a Benny's here in the States or K and L or any of those things, and you're just walking down and like, You know, like walking to the one thing you buy every time you pick it up, you walk to the register with like the blinders on. You are missing a world of single malt that's out there. Mm. And I'll tell you, hand on heart, we have never been in as good a time to be a whiskey drinker as we are right Mm. now. I I, people say all the time, and there's this this crazy bias of like the old where people are like, "Oh man, 20 years ago they did it like this." Yeah, but 20 years ago there was like six producers, so that doesn't carry any water. Mm. The reality is, is that like. I mean, the stuff that's being made by the, the, the new school and frankly, even the old school of single malt whiskey distilleries around the world is just wild. Like, I, I don't know how much access do you guys have to like the milk and honey stuff that the, the guys out mm. in Israel are making, or uh, yeah. the, yeah, the yeah, stuff that's, that's, that's being made by like McMyra out in, um, in Sweden, or the stuff being made at High Coast. I mean, they're the, uh, mm. uh, yeah, sorry, High Coast now those guys are just fantastic. Like those whiskeys are incredibly mm. just nuanced with a lot of really cool things going on. And those are things like 20 years ago just wouldn't have existed in any capacity.
0: Yeah. Mm. Well, it, it, um, I, I did a, uh, we have a, a, a whiskey appreciation society uh, Facebook page, and it's got about 15,000 members um, in, in Australia. Well, well there's, there's some international as well. And, one of the comments (laughs) which comes through one of the comments that comes through uh, from australian consumers is why do australian distillers um, use 500 ml bottles and why is australian whiskey so expensive all right so i did a facebook post and i said put those two things to one side the bottle question and also the price question what what prevents you from buying an Australian uh, single malt whiskey. and it was great. It was something like about 130 comments, uh, and it was, it was it was very good market intel actually. So I'm, I'm going to print it off and, and digest it. But um, what it, what came through loud and clear is, to me, some people had had a bad experience with an Australian whiskey years ago, and in their mind that's what australian whiskey was now and so i, I put a comment on challenge that and said guys there's so so much going on in in the australian scene you've got a lot of new progressive distillers that are experimenting with with yeast with ferment times with grain and, and there's a level of sophistication coming in and even the established ones same thing so it's it's a maturity that's, that's happening in, in our industry so people who have had an experience, you know, with a hot tannic whiskey from 2010, 2012. Give it a go again, and I'd say it's the same in in the, in the US. Yeah, you're seeing just the level of sophistication, as you just said, Chris. It's 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 exciting. It's very exciting, isn't it?
3: It's it's it is the golden age of whiskey drinking. Not only from an accessibility standpoint, but just from the quality of what's being made. And and I, I love the fact that there are people really proud of their own sort of region, their own area, their own culture that want to make something that's indicative of that. I think that is excellent. I think the world needs more of that kind of stuff. Yeah,
1: absolutely, Chris. Now, Chris on- as
2: you, Chris, as you said earlier, you know, from doing your tastings, you're seeing a lot more younger people coming into the to drinking whiskey. Um, a, a lot more females, you know. Um, a lot more diversity coming in because you know i like to call it um male pale and stale the way that whiskey drinkers were 10 years ago and they didn't care about their whiskey they didn't care about the grain that you know the 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 style of grain or anything like that they just cared about the brand name and the age and the color but with this you know influx of, of new whiskey drinkers they 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 want to know more about what's in the bottle where it came from the provenance you know all that kind of a thing you know we Talk about Brook Laddie, you know they've got their Laddie recipe online for the classic Laddie, showing all the different cast makeups that go into that particular bottle, and you know it's 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 these people that are driving that as well. You know it's it's not just you know Westland and Brook Laddie and and the other distilleries making this whiskey because you know there's people that are drinking it and they want to know more and and they're helping to drive the conversation as well.
3: Yeah. No, no, no doubt about it. And I mean, listen, smart companies are going to listen to those consumers and if consumers crave transparency and they crave authenticity, you're going to see a lot more authenticity and transparency in the spirits industry, mm,
1: which can yeah. only be a good thing. Really. I'm, I'm, I love, and I've, I've polished off a good amount of the pated.
0: I'm on it now. Nice. Um,
1: tell me about your pate where, yeah. is, where so, does peat
3: come it, from it, it, listen, we we source our so I, I should be clear we don't source peat we source peated barley so that's a a, a minor distinction but a right. distinction worth making so we work with baird's maltings uh, up in inverness so actually and again great sort of point of consistency also the same people that broclotti work with for the port charlotte project so the mm-hmm. port charlotte barleys are coming the port charlotte Peter barley is coming from bairds as well we're getting their pretty heavily peated stuff, so at about 55 ppm, it's all non-coastal, non-island um, uh, phenolic sources. So you don't get that I, – what I don't get out of ours is that big medicinal sulfuric mm. note. I get more of – you get a touch of the wood smoke. You do get a little bit of like that vegetal phenolic quality to it, but not heavy-handed. But I, I think what's really different right. about our Westland Peated is that only mm-hmm. a small amount of the barley that goes into that or, or cast that goes into that is actually peated. So that whiskey mm. is a perfect example of the way that we produce spirit at Westland. So we don't make just a single mash bill, right? We don't ju- – or a barley bill. We don't just make five malt. We actually – for many, many years, we made three distinct mash conditions. We did our five malt recipe, which was the preponderance. That was the thing that we were certainly known for. We also did just a straight pale malt, which was good blending stock or vatting stock for us. But then we also oh. made a straight peated run. So that's that Baird's heavily peated that you have there. Mm-hmm. So when you look at a bottle of Westland peated, you know, it's, it's evolved over the years, but the profile has been able to remain fairly consistent in that it makes up less than like 50% of the cast batting. So in our battings are typically 30 odd barrels at a time. Only about half of them would have actually been peated spirit. Whereas there'd been quite a bit of five malt and quite a bit of pale malt as well. And that's super important because what you end up getting out of that is I always say it's a sessionable peated whiskey. That's the kind of peated yeah. whiskey you can put in someone that's not a peated whiskey drinker. Listen, you, you, you take someone to the deep end of the pool and you're like, Hey, drink log or drink hard bag. You know, some people are going to float yeah. and some people are going to sink. And for <laughs> for us it was, we didn't uh, want to make that style of whiskey one, because we weren't going to make it as well as they were going to. And two, it would be pretty ridiculous for a bunch of guys in Seattle to be like, yeah, we're going to make Isla style whiskey in Seattle, Washington. No, I think we can make a style of whiskey that's more akin to what, what we want to kind of showcase out of what our distillery can produce. So I, yeah. I, you still get a touch of that chocolate note coming through on that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's well. a very
0: approachable,
1: very approachable peated whiskey.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, the, doesn't have that, I've just licked a bitumen road after a bushfire uh Feel to it. Um, yeah,
0: i yeah, no true. Yeah,
1: it's certainly one of my favorites.
0: Yeah. No, I love it too. Um, when you, Chris, when you, when you come here, you have to, and you'll make it happen some way, you'll have to meet a man, a distiller. It's called the the Mad Professor in Australia, Peter Bignall. Check there, out we'll our, try, mate. our last We'll try episode. to get Chris down to Tasmania you got to get him down there, yeah. mate. Our Pete, last
1: episode, have a watch of that. Yeah. Uh, it was with Peter Bignell from Belgrove. I was blown away.
0: Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a mad bastard. But anyway... <laughs> uh, yeah. Peter... Using a
1: stranger. That's just weird shit.
0: Yeah, it yeah, is. He, he wanted to make a, a, a very heavily peated whiskey. And he released something, and it was called Bogan Burnout. Mm. Right? Bogan... Burnout. So I was uh, I was at a a shop, the Oak Barrel, Andy, and uh, I was going to taste a few whiskies. And uh, the guy there said, "Try this. This is the Bogan Burnout." And he popped the top, and I went, "Jesus!" You had to you had to pull your head away, right? (laughs) And all you could taste in your mouth, and without even drinking it, but all you could taste was kerosene and rubber, right? (laughs) So, so i actually walked away to the other side of the room because i wanted to try another whiskey and i'm there going i can't get it out of my mouth but i haven't it even it. <laughs> it's, it's just airborne <laughs> it is brutal stuff there really is but that's that's the sort of thing some distillers do uh, Pete takes it to, a, to an extreme and uh, yeah and that's hey, the thing and, the, well, and there's Al. a value there's a
3: value to that as well, right? Because, I mean, part of it is we also want to explore the spectrum of what it means to be a peated whiskey. You know, yeah. peated whiskey isn't just Port Charlotte. It isn't just Ardbeg. It isn't just Laphroaig. Like, peated whiskey can have an enormous amount of, of variance to it and what it can showcase. I think, you know, we've been, you might have read at one point, but we've been sourcing quite a bit of local Washington State peat for a yep. project that we're going to be releasing in January of next year called Solum. And What's really neat about that is that one of the things. There you go, some Octomore. Yeah. One of the neat things about this new project that we're going to have to explain to people when it becomes sort of available for us to go out and talk about for selling is, it's if you're expecting Octomore, if you're expecting Ardbag, if you're expecting Lafleur, you're going to be disappointed because that's not what it's meant to be. It's mm-hmm. meant to showcase what Pete can be. When we, I, I used to say this all the time, and I believe it to this day. The biggest the one of the biggest crimes that whiskey ambassadors committed in this industry is allowing people to think that peat is a yes or no question. The reality is, is it is so much more nuanced than that. It is hmm. it, it's a, it, I think of it as more of a flow chart, right? Yeah. The first question is, is this whiskey peated? Yes or no. OK, well, if it's peated, how much peat is being used? Is it the entirety of the vatting that's being used here? So in the case of Westland, it's not. Where is the peat being sourced from? How is the peat being handled? Is it in briquettes or is it in pellets? How long is the phenolic range left there? I, I think those are all really important components of understanding the spectrum of what peat can be. So if we if we allow ourselves to dumb it down to a simple yes or no question, we're not really going to explore the boundaries of what cool peated whiskey can be. I, I'll tell you, the peat bogs that we have out by us, I mean, they're loaded with like Labrador tea, which is a distant relative to... Um, rosemary and it's got this really wonderful like menthol eucalyptus quality to it we've got wild Mm. crab apples and cranberries you know this stuff when it breaks down it has i I was laughing we we did a sensory i want to say in like middle of summer last year to try a mixture of some new make of that peated stock right from our washington state project along with some of the more mature barrels and it's it's really nuanced but once you can start to like kind of sit down Listen, if it's the kind of thing you're going to sit and try to just knock back, you're not going to get the experience out of it. But if you sit and you're really kind of tasting it and like making your notes, you go, oh my God, there's all these cool things going on that like, I'm not sure I've ever had that flavor in a peated whiskey.
0: Hmm.
3: And I think, you
1: know, can we get that in
3: Australia. So we're hoping, so the fingers crossed and and we're working on this now, but our plan is to release that whiskey globally in January of 2023. Uh, What the hell year is it? It's 21. Yeah. 23. Yeah.
1: We went a lot a wine.
3: Yeah, we're, we're a little ways away. But admittedly, you know, it's funny when we started that project, we've been sourcing that peat for years now. The idea was, oh, well, we only need so much. And then as we grew as a distiller, we're like, oh, my God, by the time we release this, we need a lot more of this whiskey available to like cover even the initial demand mm-hmm. of the marketplace. So it went from being one of these things where it's like, oh, we'll just make a couple of cases to being like, we're going to make hundreds of cases of that whiskey and it, it will sell out. I would imagine Solum Edition 1 will sell up near instantaneously.
2: I'm uh, definitely looking forward to trying it because, you know, we, we talk about terwa with barley, but I think peat probably shows terwa more than any other part of the whiskey-making process when you look at the Isla style of peat. Uh, Orkney, you've got the Highlands where, you know, we source ours from and Brooklady as well. And, you know, if we look at Octimore, Octimore gets two different types of peat and the fields are five miles apart. And one has more smoke and one burns at a lower temperature. So that's what they use to make optimal. And, um, you know, here in Australia, uh, we do have peat here in Australia, which a lot of people don't think we do. Um, peat grows on every continent. Um, you know, we've got Cameron over in Western Australia. He uses peat from over there as well. Yeah. Um, even yeah. Luke, you know, he's from Colac. Uh, and uh, I think about five there's years there's ago, lot he was of a peat down there.
1: It tastes like there's mustard. Lots
2: of <laughs> that, um, they had a peat field there that was on fire for about three months. Yeah, <laughs> about five years ago. So it's um it's definitely interesting to see the different styles of, of peat from different regions.
1: I was this close to buying a peat farm, and then realised that it tasted like shit. So I won't do that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they had a um uh where was it, Narra? They, they got a peat bog down in Narra, and that caught a light. Uh, that was during during the uh, New South Wales fires. Um, apparently they had a real problem with snakes. Coming out, out of the bogs. Oh my <laughs> God. As someone that has
3: as someone that has like a deep-seated fear of snakes, that sounds like my literal nightmare. You know, you know that we have all the snakes that will try and kill you. I I am I am keenly aware of this. Believe me, like one of the sources of things I look at on Reddit is like animals that'll kill you. And it feels like every post is from Australia. It terrifies yeah,
0: yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. We, have, we have some of the best beaches in the world, all right? Up in up in Queensland. And you just look at it and go, stunning, absolutely stunning, and it's just loaded with jellyfish. <laughs> that, that'll just—it's you know, just not worth have, the pain going out there in the water. Oh, God, <laughs> have you I heard mean. of
3: drop bears? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have not, but
1: now I'm a little. Tell oh, tell you just got to say it out loud. Drop bears. Oh, mm-hmm. mate. These Those things. We're going to let you <laughs> in on a little secret here. Don't fuck with them.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> We try not to tell tell the visitors about them, but I consider you a friend. I'm going to to give you a warning. (laughs) Don't fuck with them.
0: They're like koalas, just bigger and more aggressive. Uh, Big teeth, and and they had claws, but they got claws which have been just uh, over evolution. They've evolved, and they're just perfect for ripping human flesh. It's just... Oh, God.
1: They are fucking horrifying.
3: I think I, 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 you'd have to look, and the interwebs will provide this at some point. But I feel like there was a video a number of years ago where, like, an American newscaster was brought to a place that had a koala, and like, she had not seen one before. And yes. I think they like put on a whole thing where they were like, "This is a vicious animal," and she was like terrified. They like made her put on like body armor and everything. They were just yeah. having a bit of a laugh at her, but it was like, it was like her fear was palpable. Like she was genuinely terrified.
0: I think that's where it actually originated. I, I saw something <laughs> yeah. on CNN uh, only about six months ago, and they dispelled the myth of, of, the, of the drop there. And everyone in Australia went, oh, damn. We were that one. Yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh my god that is fantastic all, I mean, that, that, that's just amazing because my wife keeps saying to me when we go out to Australia she's gonna we're gonna stay and take some holiday afterwards and she's like I want to see a koala I want to hold a koala and I was like oh my god honey like this is gonna be but I'm gonna show her this and that's gonna completely cure her of that desire
1: <laughs> they are not cute and cuddly they will fuck you up
0: <laughs> they're, they're a bit like uh, kangaroos so where I am out in the country we <laughs> do, we have big roos and they they stand taller than me. And uh, one night I, I I was working on the still and I opened the door and there was a big bastard just standing at the door and he's just ready to have a crack at you. I want, want roos, the booze, roos, roos,
3: mate. Give me roos. the booze. We're there was a,
1: a video
2: a couple head. of years ago about a, a koala that attacked a guy's dog. And the guy got up there and, and went and boxed the kangaroo to try and get it to go away and leave his dog yeah. alone. I've uh, seen it's, that video.
1: It's so that was Australian.
3: Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I wanna
3: I wanna say we're hitting all of the things that I was hoping we were gonna talk about today no, <sorry>.
0: So, as you can see, it's gone according to script. The script that was <laughs> sent you last week, you know, it's, it's line by line. <laughs> we have talked about enough whiskey.
3: Let's talk more about random Australian animals. I'm really liking this.
1: <laughs> and I've literally just found the article where the woman is in her uh, full-on, like, yeah.
3: <laughs> body
1: armor, goggles. Um, and oh, that's right. She got- had
3: goggles on. Yeah. It's like yeah, a whole yeah, thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, she cool. looks. Ter- she was a Scottish
3: lass. <laughs> is that what it was? Okay.
1: Yeah, Scottish lass. They got a good. I, I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm just going to put it up. Up here for you, just to once it <laughs> uploads, because.
0: <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! <laughs> but look at the koala. The koala's going. I'm so bored. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Up I'm the so
1: train. bored and I'm so high. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. all right Well, it's 126 so we probably should wrap it up. So you can... <laughs> yeah,
3: I, I feel like the point of the podcast where we're starting to show random viral videos. That's usually like the moment when I'm like, okay, we hit all the major points today. <laughs>
0: mate it's been an absolute pleasure it really has uh, but like i said westland for me has been very influential so i've i've loved following westland over the years and it's just great to have an opportunity to talk to you about it and you know you can see the the authenticity there <laughs> you, you know you, you really believe in what you're what you're selling and and the whole Westland story so it's it's awesome it really is the,
3: uh, it's really kind of you guys to have me on i i, I really appreciate it this is I, I tell people all the time, like one of the great joys of my life is to share what we're doing here because I really do care about what we're doing. And, and frankly, that extends just, it's not just me the you know, the commercial guy that extends to everyone at the distillery. Like you could have had Ellie, our mash woman, or you could have had Tyler, our distillery manager, or you could have had Austin, one of our, our sales reps, you could have had any of them on and they would have had the same passion for what we do because we really do believe in this. And, you know, we're really fortunate I get to work with great people like Andy all the time that just like... They, they see Westland for what it is and they recognize what it can be. It's going to take time. Listen, Rome wasn't built in a day. And that's the, the great example of, of, it takes a lot of effort in this business to make something a success, but you can't, I, I don't even think you can begin to climb the mountain of what that needs to look like unless you make great whiskey. And we're really fortunate that I think we make great whiskey.
0: Yeah, mm. Absolutely. I mean, everything I tasted tonight, I haven't, I haven't tried a Westland for about, I don't know, two years and it, it, it just reminds me of why, why I drink Westland. It's 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 very diverse, great flavors, full of flavors, really punchy flavors. Right? Well, when I the, when the I get- come out, really, Craig, really, I'll bring
3: great. I'll bring you some lab stuff of some cool stuff. We'll bring some cool stuff out and we'll try to get together. Andy will have to Andy will have to arrange the calendar so we can actually get a, a night of a night of good drinking in together.
1: And oh we're God, not I'm going to allow Crafty to handle the uh, <laughs> the postage. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah,
3: mm, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I would
3: say Thank you, This is this is a risky <laughs> play. You're 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 calling out the Australian Post in a podcast that's going to get some level of viewership. I guarantee you, someone that listens or watches this is with the Australian Post. So I just want to be clear: Wesland has nothing to do with this.
2: <laughs> Hang on. Austra- Australia Post will get the message in about two weeks.
0: <laughs> oh, if, well, so if what have, lucky. In Australia, we have Telstra, right? And there's a stand up now. Yeah, yeah. Yes, there's a standard comedian in, in, in Australia called uh Carl Barron. Uh if you want a good taste of what Australia is like, Australia, you know, observational life, Carl Barron comedian, fantastic. And he goes, You know, Telstra, Telstra should actually just be called fuck Telstra. Because that's how everyone refers to them. They just go, fuck Telstra, fuck Telstra. So, so, so fuck Telstra and uh, Australia Post is. uh, Australia Post.
1: Absolutely.
0: Hopefully, we don't get uh, in trouble. (laughs) We are
1: never getting mail again.
0: (laughs) And my phone stopped working all of a sudden.
1: Well, again, guys, a, well, a huge thank you very you. much. It's been absolutely brilliant. Before yeah. we go, I need to give a couple of quick plugs to things that are happening this weekend. Oh, uh, yes. Unfortunately, guys, you're going to miss it because we've got the craft booze market mm. just down the road from where we are now. Well, where Todd and I are now that we'll be at. We've got in Sydney. In Sydney. Sydney. So here in Sydney, if you are in Sydney, uh, head down to Mobius Distilling on Saturday at about 11 o'clock, I think it is. Um, Good for a uh, lunchtime tipple. Um, And there's going to be a whole heap of uh, distillers and winemakers and all sorts of bits and pieces there, which will be awesome. Um, So that is at Mobius Distilling this Saturday, the 11th. In Marrickville. In Marrickville. Mobius yeah. Distilling, check it out. Yep. Um, and yeah, please do subscribe, like, follow all the different things. Um, we don't make any money off this. This is just purely for our own enjoyment. Uh, but please like it so that more people can find it.
0: There is another part to this, though. I'll just add to it quickly. The, the original concept with this was we wanted to give a platform to mainly Australian distillers, including us, uh, where we can just talk, you know, and just have conversations. So there's a lot of Australian distillers. You know, I said there's 400 distilleries. So we we talk with established distilleries. We talk with guys that are just putting their business plans together. The whole shebang. We talk to maltsters. We talk to uh, cooperers. Um, one of the, one of the great ones that's coming up uh, in 2022 is we're going to have a conversation with Mark Rainier.
2: Oh, nice. From
0: Waterford, but it's, we're having a conversation at the same time with a uh, craft maltster in Australia, and it's going to be specifically about barley and terwa. So mm. it's going to be a, a, probably a five-hour deep dive, knowing those two, <laughs> uh, in, into uh, that. So to be able to to get to get Mark Rainier on is, is awesome. And Squi Cross from Voyager Craft Malt, um, yeah, it's going to be freaking awesome so uh, yeah that's the sort of thing we like to do so absolutely yeah.
2: we best let chris start his day yeah. oh yeah i just i just yeah. realized
3: i have literally a day full of work ahead of me you really ruined that at yeah. the end there's,
2: there's almost at that age that time where we might as well just stay up and go and start our new day <laughs> well we've got a whole wall so <laughs> let's
1: do <dinner>. that <laughs> and of course Andy I- needs to go to sleep <laughs> <laughs>
0: All I right. gotta go turn Thank My skill on.
1: Thank you all. It's been wonderful. Um, and uh, yeah, brilliant talking with you. I'm
0: uh, glad thanks, guys.
1: Times right.
0: Eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Thank Cheers. So.